You know, as we kind of talked about those different musical styles and genres, maybe you were thinking about some of those genres. Now, I know we got a lot of people in the room that are young, but we got a good mix here tonight, so some of you guys are a little older. And so maybe you thought back to different times in your life when you like different styles and different music, and, and maybe some of you thought back, and I mean, we had Frank Sinatra up here, right? We had Janis Joplin, we had Metalhead Brendan, right? I mean, we had all these epic genres. We had a little James Taylor going on. We had some amazing stuff happening, some Blizzy B rap. I mean, all these different genres. And maybe as you thought back, you thought, you know what? That was good for then, but I'm really glad I don't listen to that anymore. You know, like, it was a good time. I enjoyed that genre. I enjoyed that when I was younger, but I'm kind of glad things are how they are now. In fact, I would guess if you're anything like me, you've had a day where you thought about a song. For me, I love the 80s metal thing, so Brendan's my man. And so for me, I I would think back to a certain song that I knew when I was a kid, and I just loved it. And I, I remember there have been times where I've been like, oh man, remember that one band and that one song? And I would go and I would download that song, and I would put it on my phone and be all excited to get into my car by myself so I can play it back and relive my childhood and sing it like a fool. And I don't know about you, but every time I've ever done that, or most of the time, After I sing it, I think to myself, yeah, I probably won't listen to that song for another 10 years, right? Like, it was cool for what it was, it was good for what it was, but it kind of seems old and irrelevant compared to what's going on now. Now, the reason I bring all this up, the reason we did the special we did was because we think that a lot of people kind of feel the same way about Jesus. He's kind of old and irrelevant. He's he's useful to kind of go to once in a while. He's useful if... All right, maybe I'll, around Christmas time and Easter, I'll, I'll think about Jesus a little bit and I'll, I'll give him a little time. But the reason we don't pursue him with all of our life and all of our passion and all of our heart is because so often we just think he's kind of old and irrelevant. It's, you know, I mean, come on, so much has changed since, since Jesus came, right? I mean, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came for people that weren't sophisticated like we are today, right? We, he came to people that weren't learned, right? I mean, we've learned that Jesus is irrelevant and old, right? He came to people that just were in a different place in life. And it just feels like we're living in a different age. It feels like he's sort of that old school. He's sort of that old-fashioned, that olden day kind of God, right? Um, I've been teaching my kids since birth a very important thing that I hope they'll never forget, and it's about the 1986 Mets. And the 1986 Mets won the World Series, and they know all about this. My kids know all about this. They know Game 6 when Mookie Wilson hit the ball, went through Bill Buckner's legs and led to Game 7. They know all the names. They know Lenny Dykstra and Wally Backman and Dwight Gooden and Darryl Strawberry and Keith Hernandez. And my, my six-year-old son loves to re, take, take his um, action figures, Thor and Captain America, and he loves to like relive these different baseball games. And so he'll set up Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter, and they're all out there. And uh, one of the things he said to me recently, he said, Dad, does Keith Hernandez play today, or did he only play in the olden days? And I was like, olden days? I was highly offended. 1986 is the olden days? I'm in trouble, right? And some of you who are older than me are a lot more trouble, right? But if 1986 is the olden days, if that's irrelevant, then what's the first century? Right? The first century, what what could that mean for us today? We're just in a different place. We're we're different people. So so the message, I think, out there in the world is like a lot of these music styles you heard tonight, they're just old-fashioned. They're irrelevant. Visit them once in a while, but they're really not all that life-changing and all that relevant for today. That's a lot of what's being said about Jesus right now. So is that true? Is that true about Jesus? Maybe you came in here thinking that tonight. Just not that relevant to my life. Church, God, this whole thing, just not that relevant. Well, you see, 
the reason I think Jesus is still relevant for you and I today is because Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago because we weren't smart. He didn't come 2,000 years ago because we weren't sophisticated. He didn't come 2,000 years ago because we weren't learned. He came 2,000 years ago because we weren't whole. And that hasn't changed. He came 2,000 years ago because we were broken. And still, 2,000 years later, we as a human race, me, I'm broken. I need someone who can do something for me that I can't do for myself. I need someone who can do something for me that nothing on earth can do besides him. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, a God-shaped hole. There's a God-shaped hole in every single one of us. We try to cram all kinds of other stuff in this God-shaped hole. But man, just like the people 2,000 years ago who were without peace and without satisfaction and, and maybe angry at God, or maybe some of them were trying to work their way to God, but they kept kind of feeling like they were falling flat on their face, getting nowhere. Doesn't that kind of sound like us today? So I, I think Jesus came 2,000 years ago not because it was old-fashioned and that was a message for then and we're just in a new day. No, he came to broken people and 2,000 years later, we're still broken and in that same place. You see, something becomes irrelevant when it's no longer needed. Something becomes irrelevant when it just can't help anymore. Right? Some of you guys remember some of these items I have over here? Remember this thing? Remember this, right? Now, if you're like probably 18 or younger, you're like, what is that monstrosity? But for the rest of us in this room, this is called a camcorder, right? And your parents, your grandparents, maybe some of you here, you used to walk around with this thing up on your shoulder. And I'm convinced that in the 80s and 90s, there were more reconstructive shoulder surgeries due to this device than in any other time in history. I think it was a plot. They could have made them smaller. But see, here's the thing. They figured out how to take this and put it on a little half-pound device that fits in your pocket, right? And it's like way better. So this is irrelevant now because what you had here can be done in a much better way in a much different way. What about this? Remember these guys? This was not called a stereo. This wasn't called a tape player. This was a boom box. You remember the boom box? Some of you guys remember this, right? And the boom box was incredibly cool, not just to have, but to hold like this. You guys remember this? You'd walk around like this, and we wonder why we have hearing problems now. But, man, people would be walking like this, and people, you'd, you'd see them in the mall walking down the street. I mean, this was, this was just people. They'd, they'd, like, see each other and nod, you know. I mean, this was just cool. And you'd be standing there going, look at that rad dude holding that boom box, right? If I went to the Smith Haven Mall like this today, people would be like, who is that idiot, and what is he holding, right? So this became irrelevant. Whoa, and it might almost also kill me. But it became irrelevant because... The same people that figured out how to put that camera in your pocket figured out how to take your vinyls, your records, your 8-tracks, your tapes, and your CDs and put it all on that same little device. And so that thing is just irrelevant. And that's what people think about Jesus too. Maybe he came to meet some needs that people had in that day, but they're way different than we are, than we are now. And the truth is, we're exactly the same in that we are broken. We are without hope. We are without peace and lasting satisfaction outside of what Jesus has come to do in our lives. And so I want to talk with you today, just for a few minutes, about a guy named Paul. And Paul is going to help us see something about why Jesus came that's so powerful. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you will see your incredible need for someone to help you with your brokenness. Just like I need help with my brokenness. I mean, just to be as genuine as I can, I'm someone who needs a Savior every moment of every day because I don't get it right. There's things that I do that are wrong. There are things that I do that I wish I didn't do, and there are things that I do that I try not to do, and, and yet I need the grace of a Savior both to forgive me and enable me to live a different way. 
And so my hope for you tonight is that you'll see your need for a Savior as well. No twisting of arms, no coercion, no pressure today, but I just hope God does something awesome in your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll stay tuned into this message because here's what I know. I'm 36. I've been a Christian a really long time. And I know that what can happen as we grow in our faith and in our knowledge, especially of God, we can more and more feel like we've arrived, right? We can less and less lean on Jesus and lean more and more on ourselves and our knowledge, our understanding and the experiences we've had with God. And those are all great things. Knowledge, experience with God, those are vital. But today, my question for you is, is, are you still moment by moment leaning on Jesus? Are you still allowing him to work on the brokenness in your heart and life? Are you starting, maybe some of us in the room that have called ourselves Christians for a long time, are we starting to maybe think like those around us, that maybe Jesus is irrelevant? And so wherever you are today, I just hope you'll see clearly your incredible need for a Savior because of the broken state that you and I are in. And so this guy, Paul, lives in the first century. He's a super religious guy. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. And he becomes a follower of Jesus because God does something in his life he just couldn't deny. And so as he grew in his relationship with Jesus, he had a heart to help others grow. And so later on in his life, he met this guy named Timothy, who was a young lad. And he decided, I want to help Timothy grow in his faith. And so he began to write Timothy some letters. And in these letters, he'd give him advice, and he'd say, hey, this and that, and try to point him to Jesus. And you know what? When Paul was writing these, he never knew that 2,000 years later, we would be reading them tonight. And we would be talking about these letters he wrote to his buddy named Timothy. But in them, we find something so amazing. These verses we find in this biblical book, 1 Timothy, in verse 1, verse 15, it says this. It's all about Christmas. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There it is. There's his mission. That's what he came to do, to save you and me. To save us from our brokenness, to save us from our lostness, to save us from ourselves. And so just think about that for a second. Jesus, who was fully God, became a human. So let's let this play out a little bit. Okay, so Jesus was born. You know what that means? It means he had to go through the pain of teething, right? It means in probably elementary school, he learned what a bully is, right? Just like the rest of us did. Probably means that he knew what it was like for the neighborhood kids to hang out and not invite him or include him at certain times. He probably knew what peer pressure was like. He probably knew what it was like to get made fun of because he didn't have the new custom robes like all the cool kids, right? <laughs> a little later in life, he knew what it was like to be disappointed in people and to have people disappointed in him. He knew betrayal to a level you and I never will. He knew pain and eventually death to a level that you and I never will because he suffered in our place in a horrific way on a cross to rescue us from our sins. Not because we're not sophisticated, not because we're not living in this certain age, not because we're not smart, but because we're not whole. He came for you and for me to do what we couldn't do for for ourselves. So he's not irrelevant because you and I are still broken. Then Paul says, after he says, hey, Jesus came to save sinners, look what he says. He says, of who I am the worst. I'm the worst sinner there is. I love Paul's honesty here. I love his realness. I love his genuineness. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe one of the things you don't like about church is that so often it just comes off like everybody's faking it. Everybody's pretending to have it all together and they're really struggling in different ways, but nobody's real enough or genuine enough to say anything about it. 
And I love Paul's honesty. And that's one of the things here in this church. We're trying to break through that and just be us and be real and allow God to do deep things in our lives. But here's Paul saying, hey, I'm the worst of sinners. So some of you may have come in tonight thinking, you know what? I don't really know if God would ever want me because I'm like the worst sinner ever. Right? You, you were nervous that when you walked through the doors that the building was going to catch on fire, right? And you saw the haze and you're like, I told you, right? It's coming, right? And some of you guys walked in and you're like, man, God would just never desire me because I'm just the worst of sinners. But here's Paul saying, hey, guess what? I'm the worst of sinners. I mean, you guys could argue about this if you want, but I think Paul's going to win. He's the worst of sinners. He's done all these incredible things that are wrong. In fact, one of the things he did was is he, he put his approval on the murdering of Christians. He saw these people following Jesus, and, and he, he just couldn't handle it. And I'll get you know, a little more into detail on that in just a second, why he did it. But the truth is, the bottom line for Paul is, he came to the realization one day, I am a murderer. I've killed people. And how awkward was that when Jesus shows up in his life, and he thinks, I haven't just killed people. I've killed people that followed this God that's now shown me mercy. And I'll tell you what, it would have been really easy for Paul to rule himself out from a relationship with Jesus because he just felt too unworthy. But he didn't do that. He fully embraced the grace that God offered him. And so here, this worst of sinners sees a relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So Paul says, God shows me the worst of sinners that it would give hope to other people who are sinners. Other people who should be ruled out. Other people who shouldn't be able to have a shot at a relationship with me. And so here's Paul just blown away. Here's Paul amazed. Here's Paul saying, hey, there's hope. If you're far from God, there's hope. Now, here's the interesting thing about Paul, because some of you in the room are saying, you know what? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I hear what you're saying about the worst of sinners, but I'm a pretty good person, Doug. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, I'm pretty good. I try to follow the rules. I try to do the right thing most of the time. And the amazing thing about Paul is, is he was really good in one sense. What do I mean by that? Didn't I just say he was a murderer? Well, see, he was a, a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were named, named that because they were known as people that were separated for God. That's what that meant, separated ones. And so they were living their whole lives what they thought was for God. And Paul, when he was allowing those Christians to be killed under his watch, was doing it because he thought the Christians were basically disturbing the Jewish system and the religious system they had established that day. And he said to himself, man, i got to stop this for God's sake. I mean, he was highly delusional in that thought, but he thought he was doing the right thing. And you know what? When it came to keeping rules and laws, he was like the man. You know, every one of us would have hated Paul if we knew him, if we were friends with him, because he was just really good at doing the right thing. You know, he's that guy that would go 50 miles per hour on the LIE. You know, that guy, you just want to kill him and wring their neck, right? He wouldn't eat devil's food cake because you know who was mentioned. You know what I'm saying? All right? And so Paul was like really good in the one sense. But he was also really, really bad in the other sense. And so if you're here today saying, I'm just too far gone, just know tonight that the one who said he's the worst of sinners found grace. And if you're like squeaky clean and you try to keep the rules, you know what Paul said somewhere else? He said, hey, here's all my list of accomplishments and I did all this right and did all that right, but 
But you know what Paul realized at the end of the day? That all fall short. That all of us sin. That all of us make the wrong choice. And the only thing that could save us was somebody living a perfect life in our place. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so here's Paul saying, I'm the worst. And I just want to talk to you if you're a follower of Jesus. Because like I said earlier, some of us tend to start to lean on our own strength. We tend to lean away from what Jesus has done for us. We tend to start to think we've arrived. And I just want you to know something about what Paul says here. And, you know, not many people are going to care about the Greek here. So I'm just going to get right to basically what it means in the English. And if you're an English major, you're all about this right here. But when Paul says, I'm the worst, what he's saying is he's using these, a singular noun pre- present tense with the indicative mood. Now, what that means is talk, Paul is talking about himself in the moment, And he's making a factual statement. He's saying, hey, I'm talking about me here and now. I am the worst of sinners today. So Paul wasn't saying, hey, like 30 years ago, I was a pretty bad guy. No, he's saying, today I need the grace of Jesus because there's broken parts in me still that God's putting together. And certainly in the time that Paul had lived as a Christian, he was growing in his relationship with God. But ultimately, he could still say, I so badly need a Savior every day every moment, because I'm still broken. When Paul wrote to First, uh, well, the guy's name wasn't First Timothy. He was Timothy, and that was First Timothy that he wrote. When he wrote to First Timothy, uh, he's, he, he was actually a follower of Jesus for probably about 30 years already. And so Paul, as he's writing this, wasn't like this newbie Christian, you know, like, how do you spell Jesus again? You know, I mean, he knew it all. I mean, the guy wrote the Bible, right? Half of the, half of the New Testament. And so he was like brilliant and he was close to Jesus and God had done a ton in his life. But he still knew he needed a daily savior because he wasn't perfectly whole. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're leaning hard on Jesus. I hope you're recognizing your daily need for a savior. I hope you're looking to him often. I hope your relationship with him is current and up to date. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you're beginning to see that Jesus is relevant for here and now, 2014. That there's no difference in the brokenness of people in the year 1 AD and the year 2014. You and I desperately need a savior. And so what I want you guys to know is that Jesus is still relevant because he came to save broken sinners like you and me. That's why Jesus still matters. Because he came to save broken people, and we're still broken. Jesus is still relevant because humanity is still broken. But he came to do what we could never do ourselves. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he really came to deal with our brokenness on two levels. The first level is an eternal level. That when you and I die one day, Jesus came to deal with the brokenness, the sin in our lives that would set us apart and and set us away from a relationship with God where we would have life that God only can give and salvation. But there's a second level to him coming to deal with our brokenness, and that doesn't have to do with eternity. It has to do with right here and right now. In fact, one of the ways we know God is real is that he shows up in our life and begins to do things in us that we could never do ourselves. And so Jesus came to start to mend your brokenness and my brokenness here And now, that's why this is so exciting. That's why the people in this room around you are so passionate about God because it's not just this blind hope that we have one day we'll see if God's really there. No, he's already started to make a difference in our lives and mend our brokenness. I want to show you guys a video. It's real quick. 
but it's some of the people here in this room, them sharing their stories, some of the people that were at our services this morning, sharing some deep, dark places in their lives, being genuine, being real like Paul was. And when they did this, they talked about their brokenness and how far they were from God and then what God did to come through in their life. And so would you guys just check out the screens and see what God can do in a life that's broken like you may be tonight. I was abandoned and heartbroken, but God helped me overcome. I was depressed and I let it become a part of me, but God helped me overcome. I used to self-medicate and let anger and lust take a hold of me, but God helped me overcome. I used to struggle with my self-image and my self-worth, which led me to self-injury and to hurt myself physically. I used to let pain rule my life, but God helped me overcome. I was angry and unforgiving, but God helped me overcome. I was incredibly selfish and self-centered. I was lost and addicted to drugs. I was angry and unwilling to forgive. I was hopelessly lost in unbelief. I struggled with doubt and depression, but God helped me overcome. But God helped me overcome. But God helped me overcome. I used to be self-righteous. Lack of love and depression consumed my life. I was lustful. I struggled with an eating disorder and insecurity, but God helped me overcome. But God helped me overcome. But God helped me overcome. I struggled with fear and anxiety, but God helped me overcome. I used to run away from God and thought I could never accept his love. I was lost and insecure, but God has helped me overcome. I was stuck in cycles of fear and worry, but God helped me overcome. 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 So tonight, you guys, I want you to focus first on eternity. I want you to focus on the fact that Jesus came to save you and rescue you, though you and I don't deserve it, though we're all a mess and we all need a Savior. I want you to focus on what he did for you on an eternal level. But then secondly, I want you to think about, like you just saw that video, what God offers for you here and now. I just love that video. I love that the people were real enough to share some deep, hard places in their lives where, man, they've been a mess, but God has come through and helped them overcome those struggles. He's begun to mend that brokenness in their life. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, I would love for you to think about putting your trust in Jesus. And if you're not ready for that, you're like, Doug, you talked for like 20 minutes and it wasn't even all that great. I'm not convinced yet to put my trust in Jesus. Then here's what I would encourage you to do. Continue to look into it. You're welcome to do that here. If you don't like our church, we'll help you find a church you do like. But we just want you to continue to explore if there's a God that loves you. Somebody once said, wouldn't it be crazy if there's a God that loves you and I and yet we don't take the time to look into it, to look into him, to see if he's there. And so I would so encourage you more than anything tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just to explore what God's done. Take a visitor CD, take an evidence CD set. You're welcome to hang out and uh, talk with any of us here. But man, just keep on looking into this amazing news that a savior came for you and I. Because the truth is for every single one of us in the room that Jesus is still relevant because he came for broken sinners like you and me. In 2012, a couple walked into a hospital in the UK and, and a woman went into labor very early. And she gave birth to a little girl named Madalena. Madalena was only 23 weeks old, so she was tiny. And the doctors and the parents were there and trying to figure out what to do next. And I don't agree with this, but in the UK, there's this ethical 
rule, I guess you could say, that the hospitals will only work to keep a child alive if they weigh more than a pound, I guess because of health complications or whatever it might be. And so this little Madalena had to be a pound or she wasn't going to make it. And so they all stood around and put her on the scale and they, they hoped that she would be the pound and the doctors would do what they could. And, and sure enough, she was a pound. And so the doctors went to work trying to save Madalena's life. Now, if Madalena's family, when they walked in that morning, if you had told them, you know what? Don't put your hope in all the modern stuff. I mean, I'm sure they walked in that day being full of hope in oxygen machines and heart monitors and the doctor's skill and ability and all this modern technology. But if you had said, you know what? Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in an ancient invention invented in 1500 BC called a pair of scissors. They would have said, what does that have to do with our situation today? What's a pair of scissors going to do to save the life of our little child? But the truth is, that's exactly what saved her life. Because what nobody realized is that when they put Madalena on the scale, she wasn't a pound. She was less. And these little pair of scissors that were sitting on that scale brought her weight up enough that they would save her life and rescue her. You know what? In the same way, I think so many of us maybe walked in here tonight thinking, I'm looking to the modern. I'm looking to modern thought, philosophy, way of life, convenience, status, jobs, wealth, women, guys, relationships, all that stuff, all this. I'm not looking ancient. I'm not looking old. I'm not looking what seems irrelevant and from thousands of years ago. And yet that is the exact thing that can save your life and my life. It's looking back to what Jesus did because he is still relevant today for you and I because we're broken sinners who need saving. And so tonight, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to put your trust in him. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you to lean more on Jesus. Lean more on your Savior. The more we grow in our knowledge of God, the more we grow in our experience with God, the more we should love him and lean on him and be more humble, not think we've arrived, but more and more we should see the beauty of what he's done. Christmas should get more exciting to us every year that we know our Savior because more and more we get closer to him and see the great sacrifice he's made. And so I just want to pray for us now. But I'll tell you this, the truth for every single one of us here in this room tonight is that Jesus is still relevant because he came to save broken sinners like you and me. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you came to save and rescue us. And God, we're just praying now that you would help us to lean heavily on you, that we would trust you with our lives that we would trust you with our our salvation eternally, but here and now that you'd begin this mending process in our brokenness. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just ask yourself that question? Is my relationship with Jesus up to date? Am I leaning on him? Or have I been pulled aside because I think I've arrived or maybe a modern thought which says Jesus is irrelevant has affected me more than I knew? But today, is your relationship with him up to date? And then if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would encourage you to pray a prayer just like this between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to fill out a card or come up here or tell somebody you did it. It's just between you and God. It's not a prayer that saves you. God's, if God's doing something in your heart, then he's doing something in your heart. And now we get to respond by just simply talking to him in prayer. And so if you'd like to pray, 
and just respond to what God's doing in your heart tonight, then I would encourage you to pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for being my savior. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that whether I'm one of those squeaky clean people who almost has it right or one of those murdering worst of sinners, that my sin doesn't separate me from you, God. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your relevance to me today. And so be my savior. Forgive me for my sin. And I thank you for this gift of salvation that I can never earn for myself. In your name I pray.